Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the show. This is the Millennial Millionaire Podcast, and I am your host, Stephen Cohen. This podcast is focused on bringing some of the wisest minds from across the globe to discuss concepts, strategies, and ideals that will lead them to be top performers in their respective industries and their lives. This show is for the millennials and millennials at heart to transcend their mindset, their health, and their income to the next level. We are so excited to have you on this journey with us. Welcome to the show. Yo, 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 welcome back to the show, Millennial Millionaires. Today, I have a super special guest here. It's gonna be a shorter episode, but we're gonna get as much value out of this human being as possible. Uh, we have the one and only Mr. David Melser. David Melser is a legendary sports executive and formerly served as the CEO of Lay Steenberg Sports and Entertainment Agency, uh, which was the inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire. He's one of the world's top entrepreneurs, investor, and business coaches. He's the executive producer of the Apple TV series, Two Minute Drills and Office Hours. He's been featured in many books and movies, commonly known as Thinking Grow Rich and Beyond the Secret, featured on Netflix. His mission is to empower over 1 billion people to be happy, and just super honored to have him on the show. Welcome, David. Man, I've waited a long time to be on this show, so I certainly am excited to be here, and thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely, man. So... I think most of the viewers know a little bit about you, but maybe if we can do a quick intro, who you are, what you're about, and we'll hop into it, man. Yeah, we covered a lot in the bio. I think at a higher level, you know, I've really traveled in three worlds. Grew up with nothing, single mom, six kids. She packed our dinner in paperback, worked two jobs, second grade teacher, filled up turnstiles at convenience stores just so I could eat. And from that world of what I call not enough, where everything happens to me, always a victim, always feeling punished by circumstances. I wanted to be rich, to buy my mom a house and a car, to leave that world of not enough and into a world that I was taught called for me. That everything was going to happen for me. That if I worked hard, if I was honest, if I did the right things, good deeds, if I gave to receive, all these good things would happen. And believe it or not, it did. It did. And Unfortunately for me, I started believing that money, it actually bought happiness and love. I didn't realize I already was happy and already had love in my life. Now I just had money. Uh, and what happened is I learned about this world of for me in a different way than a lot of positive people or optimists look at it. I learned about the world of for me is it's still scarce. Because I was a good sales guy, and you get this, Steve, everything was a trade and negotiation, even giving, right? I'll give to receive. So I'll give a million dollars to receive accolades. I'll give to my family so I'm the favorite child. And everything to me was a trade. Unfortunately, in that world, as I learned, as I ran the most notable sports agency in the world, so not only was I worth over $100 million, but I had access to what billionaires couldn't afford to have access to. Sidelines at Super Bowl, backstage at the Grammys, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. But what I learned about that world is it's still scarce because even though everything happened for me, there was never enough. It was always, I want to be more happy, more healthy, more wealthy, more worthy. And what I didn't understand at that time is what was I doing to interfere with it? And until I lost everything, over $100 million, went bankrupt, did I realize that I am. You see, there's a terrible energy suck in especially the millennial millionaire generation between I am and this is what I want people to think I am. Mm. So you got a lot of guys that actually are 
and yet they feel like it's necessary to stand in front of cars they don't own, planes they don't own, houses they don't own, as they call today, my kids taught me, flexing. Flex culture. Yeah, they flex. But what I learned is there's a bigger and better world out there. There's a world of I am, of more than enough I am, more than enough of everything for everyone I am. I just got to figure out what I'm doing to interfere with it. So my mission now in life is to help over a billion people learn to figure out what we're doing to interfere with our potential so that everyone in the world realizes there's more than enough of everything for everyone, more money, more happiness, more health, more wealth. We just got to figure out what we're doing to interfere with it. And that's been my journey. And I've been able to make more money than I ever have, help more people than I ever had, and of course, have more fun. Mm, I love that, man. Do you think it takes hitting rock bottom or having some type of life-altering experience to realize that life is an internal game, not an external game? I know for you, it took losing all your wealth, but how do people maybe who are striving for success and that are still motivated by the cars and the houses and the materialistic thing get to that conclusion before having to have some type of major setback? I unfortunately believe it helps to have major setbacks, <laughs> but major setbacks are re are relative, right? So if we have the right perspective and understand one valuable takeaway that I've learned through my journey, that outcomes are not a capability that human beings have to judge or to understand or to know. So what happens is if we start realizing hey, my achievements, the outcomes, bad or good, they aren't bad or good. I have no way of understanding or knowing or judging whether it's bad or good. All I can do is judge, understand, and know my behavior. Hmm. And so I think how we mitigate major setbacks, like losing over $100 million or being a drug addict on the street and homeless, which is, believe it or not, a catalyst to so many super successful people. I can't tell you how many addicts are super successful because it helped them to be so effed up, mm. right? I will tell you, it certainly helped me to be so effed up. But I believe there's a way that you don't have to have your basement and have a basement. I believe you do and everyone does have challenges. If we keep them relative to behavior, not to the outcome, if we keep focused on good behavior, creates instant results that we're not aware of. It's called good progress. And bad behavior creates instant results we're not aware of called bad progress. Here's the problem with that philosophy, if you believe in it like I do. You create all this good behavior, but we're not aware of good progress, so we quit. We get impatient. We're like, oh, shit, I'm tired of dieting. I haven't lost all the weight, or I'm tired of saving my money, or whatever good behavior it is. But here's the worst part about it. Beyond not being aware of good behavior and good progress, and so we quit, we then take on bad behavior but we're not aware of the bad progress until it's too late when we lose everything or we're homeless or we're addicted to drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, et cetera. And now we got a really long journey back. No, hundred percent. One thing that we talk about a lot in our coaching calls, and I think I've asked you this question multiple times and you give me a similar answer. You talk a lot about asking for health. And one of the things that you wish that you did from an early age to accelerate your happiness, your fulfillment, your wealth, was to ask for help. Can you elaborate a little bit on that concept and how important it is for especially young entrepreneurs to ask for help to help accelerate their journey? Ironically, asking for help is a confirmation of what we're teaching today. Instead of this zero-sum game, those people that ask for help, although they don't think it's humble to ask for help, it's actually the greatest radical humility that you can 
actually create by asking for help. What I mean by that is that when we ask for help, we are so confident that there's more than enough of everything for everyone that we know those people we ask for help from, we're adding value to them more than we're even receiving ourselves from the help that they're giving us. So instead of living in the zero sum game, where if I ask you for help, you're gonna lose and I'm gonna gain, which is the greatest interference between people asking for help, which by the way, is the fastest and easiest way to get to where you wanna be, is find someone that's already there and ask them for directions or ask them for help. Or in combination, another fast way to get to where you wanna be is find somewhere to someone and give them directions to where they wanna be, help them get to where they wanna be. If you do both, you'll create an aggregation acceleration and exponential outcomes towards that. And it's all relying on this idea of value add world, not zero sum game, that giving and receiving and witnessing are all one. And if you don't believe me, check into bioanatomical uh, results and biochemical results of giving, receiving, and witnessing. When you give, you get dopamine, oxytocin, serotonins, and endorphins, which puts you at ease, which inspires you. When you receive, same thing happens, but the exponentiality is created because those who witness it get the exact same dose, which confirms biochemically and anatomically that we're getting a reward. I call it a, a doggy biscuit from God. Like, why would God make you feel good if it wasn't good for you? Like the way that you were born or created. And why would God make you feel bad, like create cortisol? Like if you're stressed, anxious, frustrated, angry, guilty, resentful, what, why would that be? It seems like the universe is very exact and it knows what it's doing. I'm relying with the best option face that, you know, the universe knows better than me and the humility of asking for help is absolutely the best way to get there. Mm, no, I love that. I mean, it just becomes being in tune with yourself and listening. Like you said, a lot of success isn't trying to get something. It's getting out of your own way and allowing the resistance to melt away to allow yourself to step into that role and attract that life. Dave, for you, I know you hit success at a really early age after law school. You became super successful, multimillionaire into the sport agency, but you lost it. Do you believe that came from your identity, your self-belief, your character, your integrity, not catching up to that level of success, therefore you lost it? Or what pitfall do you feel like young people or people that are going out there to accomplish big things can avoid to make sure that once they have a level of success, they're able to sustain it and continue to evolve on it? I think two things. One, surrounding yourself with the right people and the right ideas. You see, I surrounded myself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas, and therefore my behaviors were more aligned with the people and the ideas that I surrounded myself with, which was an aggregation and acceleration and a compounding of bad behaviors. So that's the number one thing. Uh, two, those people who did care about me and told me the truth, my reaction wasn't in humility, it was in hate. So there was four people when I had everything, what I call the glamorized stuff. There's nothing worse in life. And you see this with the athletes and entertainers. They have everything what everybody else wants and it glamorizes the stuck that they're in. Because when you're not happy and everyone thinks that you live the best life, it really sucks. Yeah. And so everyone sucks up to you when, when you have everything that they think they want. And so what happens is the people who know you and care most about you tell you the truth and you really can't handle it. 
So my dad sent me a jacket with no pockets and said, hey, I'm worried about you. I want you to hang this in your closet to remind you you can't take anything with you when you're gone. Mm. Money does not buy love and happiness. I told my dad to F off. I hate you. Why would you do that to me? You, you think you're better than me. My mom told me, I said, I don't believe in God. She said, son, you believe in God. You believe in the wrong God. Mm. Told my mom, you don't respect me. I've given everything to you, a house, a car, money. How dare you speak to me that way? My best friend, I invited him to the Masters with Wayne Gretzky, Warren Moon, Troy Aikman, Private Jet, back in the cabins with Curtis Strange, told me I don't want to go with you because I don't like who you're going with and what you guys are doing. Told him to F off. How dare you talk to me that way? I'm your best friend from the fourth grade. For God's sake, you asked my wife for me to go steady in the sixth grade. Albeit she said no and you embarrassed me, but still you did that for me. And now I told him I hate you. And then the final draw, which changed my life, was coming home after lying to my wife. I went to the Grammy Awards with Little John. He's a rapper. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, John, uh, I lied to my wife, told her I went on a business meeting. I went to the Grammy Awards, came home wasted, 5.30 in the morning. And my wife told me she's leaving me. She wasn't happy. I had three daughters at the time. She told me, take stock in who you are, what you want to become, because you're going to end up dead. And I, I can't stay here to watch it. I told my wife I hated her. How dare you talk to me? I remember spinning around wasted with my arms to the sides going, who do you think did all of this? I remember, who do you think? How dare you talk to me that way? And finally, when I woke up in the morning full of hate, I remember sitting on the edge of my bed thinking, I hate my dad. I hate my mom. I hate my best friend. And I hate my wife. And I was thinking to myself, what's the matter with this? How is it? that everyone else loves me, but the four people that are supposedly the most relative people in my life, mom, dad, best friend, and wife, I hate. Why do I hate them? The truth. The truth vibrates the fastest. And as I thought the truth vibrates the fastest, there was that goddamn jacket. Hmm. And I saw it in the closet and I thought to myself, I don't hate my dad. I called my dad a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, overseller, and a back-end seller. I told him I hated him. I realized I hated myself. I was the liar, the cheater, the back-end seller, overseller. And I sat there on my bed crying. And I took the advice of my wife. And I took stock in who I was and what I wanted to become. And for the last 17 years, two of them up until the point I lost everything... I have been working on myself. I've been working on my values to be grateful, to find light, love, and lessons in everything, to be forgiving of myself for all the setbacks, mistakes, failures, to finding moments, the limiting meanings that I gave my life, and I am accountable. Learning lessons from what I did to be responsible, to attract things in my life, and to participate in a perception that I was separate from. And then finally, to identify what's interfering with my inspiration. To have faith, more than enough of everything, what am I doing to interfere with it? Mm -hmm. It's such a powerful story because to see someone like you and your career, your life, and everything that you accomplished, to have that type of humility 
and insight to realize that you can lose yourself on the way to wealth if you don't do the inner work in order to sustain it. And one of the things I really admire about your content, Dave, is you talk a lot about business practicality. You know, that's most of your career has been building businesses, the sports agency, everything that you've accomplished. But you also tie in a lot of the spiritual law of success and, and all the, the non-physical side of things. Can you speak a little bit on today in the 21st century, how science is finally starting to catch up to what a lot of the Eastern world knew about meditation and manifestation and how to essentially use that in the 21st century in order to progress your life. Yeah, I think using man-made constructive time versus relative time is the best way to reconcile the spiritual world with the pragmatic world. Mm. And so if we look at the past, it's infinite. If you close your eyes with me, Steve, and we tell each other, let's go back 100 million years, it'd take a few seconds of man-made time to go back over 100 million years. So in its essence, in the world of the infinite, time is infinite in the sense of the past. And so what is the pragmatic limitation of the infinite past? The meaning that I give it, and you talked about manifestation, you talked about this interference in spirituality. So in essence, we know that the past is infinite. It goes back forever. So we control, our mindset controls the meaning we give the past the light, the love, and the lessons that we learned from the past. So my bankruptcy, when that outcome occurred in my life in 2008, I thought I understood and knew what it meant. It meant I was a loser. It meant I screwed up. It meant all these things to me. And even worse, I was worried what it would mean to other people. I don't want to tell anyone. But as I understood the infinite nature of the past, I could give it whatever meaning I wanted it. And the meaning I gave it is it saved my life and it saved my marriage. And that's the meaning that I've manifested in a trajectory. You see, I don't take the meaning anymore lightly. I use the meaning of my past, the infinite past, to align with where I want to be in an infinite future. Once again, close your eyes, 100 million in years in the future is no problem. So I know the limitation of my past is only the meaning I give it. And the limitation of the future is only my self-image that's created by the meaning of my past. And so if I consistently work on the infinite meanings and the infinite image of I am, then it leads me to the pragmatic world, which exists in only one construct, 24 hours. The time a particle of light leaves the sun and hits the earth determines the constant, the dependent variable of all pragmatic matter, subjective and objective matter, 24 hours a day. So in that essence of 24 hours a day, the way that I reconcile and the character that I created and I'm branding is called the ferocious Buddha. Can I teach people to be ferocious every day with the 24 hours they're given? What do I want today? Who can I help? Who can help me? How best can I get it done and prioritize accordingly in a trajectory of where I want to be by giving meaning and learning lessons to the past to get to that trajectory faster, bigger, and better? to then apply my why, not search for it. So in other words, identify what I'm afraid of, the fear of the interference, stop when I identify it, know that when I'm afraid, my ego evokes itself, which creates more interference with the need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry, guilty, resentful, etc. And so instead of trying to go over it, under it, through it, around it, lie to it, 
manipulate it, cheat it, and deny it, which I used to do every time I was afraid, I just stop and I remind myself. I remember myself. I recollect myself with this infinite spiritual source, an omniscient, all-knowing, omnipowerful, all-powerful source that's unified with everything, infinite with everything, a system of thought that I can give whatever meaning it is to reach whatever I want to reach and reduce, dissolve, and disappear those limitations that are created by fear and ego by my own self-image and the meaning I give my past. And so this reconciliation of time allows me to take the nothingness that I, everyone, including me, lived in. I call it living your life like a tube. Food in, food out. Knowing what I want in the trajectory of where I want to be or better by learning or giving meaning of the past, which makes my nothingness a possibility. Figuring out who can help me and who I can help, which makes it a probability. Figuring out how to use the 24 hours of the day in a productive, accessible, gracious manner, which makes it my perspective. And then prioritizing my now and my next, which makes it my reality. And then applying my why, which makes it in spirit. Even though I'm utilizing man-made constructive time to live in spirit. Mm. And so that's the great record reconciliation of the ferocious Buddha. That's the formula right there. And I agree with you. It resonates in my life. Every bad thing that's happened in my life in the past, with enough time and discipline and EQ, I've been able to reframe that opportunity that has helped me to become the person I am. And by doing that, it allows me to get into a higher vibration, a higher state to take action into the future to you know manifest the results I want. Uh, so I love that, man. Dave, one of the things that is extremely impressive about you is your ability to cultivate your energy. Um, it feels like every time I talk to you, you know, you're in different continents, you're, you've probably been dozens of countries speaking, uh, mentoring, doing your thing over the last couple months, just even today, you got a 30 minute slot, you got a call after this, you got a flight tonight, you got this going on. How do you cultivate that much energy to be able to transfer that to your people that you're trying to support? And what do you, what practices do you have to cultivate that, to keep that going, especially at someone uh, at the age of your career that you're in. Yeah, that's old. I'm 55. So <laughs> people can't keep up with me. And it's because number one, we all have the same energy. So when we shift the paradigm that we're talking about, instead of trying to get more energy, what am I doing to interfere with the omniscient, all powerful energy I'm given? I, Bob Proctor, my mentor mm. told me I had enough power in my pinky to light up Manhattan. From that day on, I said, Hmm, I must be interfering with something then because I don't feel that powerful. If I got that much power in my thinking, I must be doing something wrong. And so by shifting the paradigm of faith that I have that power and focusing on what I'm doing to interfere with it. So what are some of the things that we do to interfere with it? We talked about fear and the evoking of the ego. That definitely does. But here's another one. Self-talk. Self-talk. 80% of your self-talk or more is interfering with your potential, your power, your energy. It's negative. Here's what's worse about it. 90% of your self-talk is repetitive. So you're drilling it unconsciously, subconsciously into your being, neuropathways, energetic inheritance, genetic inheritance for not only you, but the future generations, your kids. Mm. And so 
if we start looking at the two biggest interference between us and our potential, one, fear, and the evoked ego that interferes when fear is present because it automatically tries to protect us, which separates and interferes with our potential, and then realize our self-talk, which 80% of it on most people are negative and repetitive 90% of the time, if we can just focus in on those two things, we can dissipate, dissolve, and disappear by using one mechanism that helps me back to my favorite. It, it isn't in the love language book. Have you read the, you know, the four? Yeah, I, I add one. It's called time. Time is my love language because for me, it's the only quantitative measurement that can show me the progress that I'm making without me seeing the outcomes of the product of the product uh, of the progress that I'm looking for. What do I mean by that? Let's say that I have negative talk about feeling guilty. I feel guilty because I make so much money and my mom made $17,000 a year as a second grade teacher and had to raise six kids on her own. And I can't get rid of this negative guilt feeling talk that's repetitive. Well, if I want to see progress, time's the only variable I can use. It's a dependent variable saying, you know what? I felt guilty for like two hours and 20 minutes a day. Tomorrow, I'm going to try to feel guilty for two hours and 19 minutes. It's really only about 139 days if I can dissolve a minute a day until I won't feel guilty anymore. And guess what? The negative talk of guilt is gone. The repetitive nature of guilt is gone. The interference between my me and my potential for two hours and 19 minutes a day is gone. And instead, I'm receiving so much more energy that as a 55-year-old who travels 200 days a year all over the world, people who are in far better shape than me, although, Steve, round is a shape. You look great. Thank you. And when you're 55, round is more of a shape than it used to be, even if you work harder than you used to work hard. But yet, I have less interference. I have more energy of the energy that we're all given. I love that. The law of energy, right? Energy can't be created or destroyed. It can just be transformed. Or stopped. Or, you, or stopped. So if you can tap into that, because at the end of the day, I believe that successful people live energy-rich lives. The only difference between someone who is unsuccessful on the side of the street, beaten down, versus the CEO who's crushing it, going 100 million miles an hour, is their ability to cultivate their energy and transfer it into the things that are going to get them you know, a valuable return. That's why they have more money, because money's in energy. So they know how to aggregate money, they know how to accelerate money, they know how to compound exponentially money. The same as they do their behaviors, which creates passion, purpose, and profitability, success. Absolutely, man. Dave, we can talk for hours, man. I can just continue to mine gems, but I know we got to wrap up here soon. My last question for you, because on the topic of money, what is a belief about money that you once had that, be that you realized was a myth that you don't have anymore? For sure, that money buys <clears throat> love and happiness. Money's just as important as it used to be. You know my motto, what's the first thing in my motto? Make a lot of money. Then it's help a lot of people. Then it's have a lot of fun. I actually sponsored my kid's football stadium in high school, and the high school didn't understand it. They switched my saying around. Help a lot of people, have a lot of fun, make a little money. Bless me like, for that's it. That's how it works. You can't give what you don't have. Yes. And so here's what I've learned. Money is very important, but it doesn't buy love or happiness. But what it does do is more important. It allows you to shop. And if you shop for the right things, for the right reasons, you're going to be so happy. But if you don't have money, you can't shop for as much 
that's not going to make you as much happy. You still can be happy, but I promise you, if you have lots of money and shop for the right things for the right reasons, you will be more happy with more money. If you have a lot of money and shop for the wrong things for the wrong reasons, you'll be more sad than if you didn't have the money. It's an amplifier, but it is important. Money allows you to shop, shop for the right things for the right reasons. Love that, man. Dave, you're an absolute legend, bro. Thank you so much for hopping on. Uh, where can the viewers find you if they want to connect, see some of your content and, and just find out more? Well, I appreciate you having me here. And for everybody in the community, I want to offer my book. I will sign it. I will, it's right here. I will sign it, send it to you, pay for shipping, pay for the book. Uh, I want to empower everyone like Steven and have him empower all of his community. So reach out to me, david at dmelter.com david at dmelter.com uh and i will sign send and ship and pay for the book and shipping for you uh we do free friday trainings free meetups free ig lives if it's free it's me it can be for you email me david at dmelter.com if you forget my email just remember that name david Meltzer. google it i'm everywhere you'll find my email somewhere thanks so much Guys, you heard it from one of the best thought leaders on the planet. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll catch you on next week's episode.